There we go. What up? What's up, bro? How you? How are you, man? How you doing? I'm doing Good, great. Dude. I'm a great. I'm gonna switch over here. So do you? That audio sound. Such an athletic, busy boy, man. You rogue hey. invitational and then heading over to uh, you got the what Brazilian jiu-jitsu tourney coming up? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Wait, hold uh, on a second. Hold on. I lost your audio. What the fuck just happened, Rogue? But boom. Wait. What happened? Here? Is it it is it me or is it you? Is it me or is it you? Can you still hear me or no? It I it might be my headphones. Hmm. How's that? Can you hear me? Uh-oh. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I, I still have no fucking audio. What is happening? You can't here? hear, hear, hear. Let's see. Hang on. Hang on. Well, let me ask you this question. Hang on one second. Um, well, can you hear that now? Can you hear that now or no? Can you hear? You, no. How about that? Can you hear that? Audio at all. How about that? How about that? Um, there we go. All right. You there, Jason? Now can you hear me? I got you. Can you, you hear now, me now? Man. Yeah, I got you now. Dude, we're, we're good. Do I all sound right. like a, do I sound like I'm on a, uh, how does the audio sound? Okay. Sound, you know, your audio sounds good. Yeah. I just, uh, I just had some fucking novice era on my end. Um, but anyway, so yeah, man, you've been busy. Dude, I've been busy. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. I, uh, I was at the Rogue Invitational. That was that was great. Um, you know, Legends Division there is really cool. And then boom, moved on and uh, and competed in a jiu-jitsu tournament. I, uh, you know, wanted to get in. So I, I wanted to get in a few jiu-jitsu tournaments this year. You know, with COVID, it kind of threw a wrench in the system for a lot of things. And so I wanted to get in some jiu-jitsu tournaments, especially before I get my next belt ranking. And so I wanted to make sure that I got in at least a couple of competitions at each belt ranking was important to me. Got it. Did I mean, I got to imagine the, the jiu-jitsu was probably way more important to you than the Legends thing. But did the Legends thing kind of jack up your training schedule at all? Did it like, ah, shit, I got to sacrifice a little bit of time and energy to to do this and mess around with this these log muscle-ups and shit like that? No, so I actually – so funny – oddly enough, if you look at like the way the year was structured, I trained really hard uh, for this thing called Master Worlds, and that was a jiu-jitsu tournament in Vegas. I trained yep. hard for that. I was in the gym. I was – and then – that was like maybe a month before the invitational. Got so it. I trained hard for that. Then all I did for to get ready for the invitational was like, well, I'm already in pretty darn good shape. Now I just need to make sure I, I have my like party tricks down. So I spent time doing muscle ups, handstand walking, all that kind of stuff that might come up. So you, you feel appropriate. So I trained that for like the month leading up to the rogue invitational, trained some heavy lifting. And then uh do the invitational is a lot of fun because I mean, it's pretty low key. You get super cool like gifts and giveaways like this. <laughs> yeah, that's right dope. Here. That's uh, awesome. So, dude, it's it's a lot of fun. The, the Rogue Invitational is super cool, but you just want to look like my goal at the Rogue Invitational is like to look good, to feel. It's like good. going back for a high school reunion, man. Everyone wants to go back and just flex and be like, "Listen, I, I'm still, uh, I'm still relative. I'm still relative. I'm still fit." And you know, what's really cool is that 
Um, it feels good when you're out there because I, I don't know where the sport of jiu-jitsu or uh, sport of CrossFit, and we could talk about this. Um, the sport of CrossFit, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how many new um, spectators are coming to the sport versus people have been in the sport for a long time, because I know that I'm, I'm drinking my own bathwater here, but when I'm walking around, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people are engaged with the legends. A lot of people are engaged with me. They know who we are. You get a lot of messages like, Hey, I got into CrossFit because of X, Y, Z or whatever. Not just me. I'm, I'm just sure. saying in general legends. Um, and I'm curious, and I know that that's of course the feedback I'm going to receive, but I'm curious how many new people are coming to the sport who, just because I, I, from a lot of people I, I witnessed, like they got introduced because of maybe five, 10 years ago. Sure. I, I, anyways, there's just, I get, no, and I get it. And by the way, we're rolling. I learned my oh, lesson. Rolling. Like, you, yeah, you and me just fucking like, generally we just, you know, we shoot the shit for like 10 minutes beforehand. And I'm always like, damn, I wish I would have recorded that. So I made yeah, a note hey, to do it this time. <laughs> hey, let's shoot the shit. So, so, but, but dude, uh, so I, I, I definitely think there's something to be said about, I'd love to look at the analytics on new, um, like new spectators. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, did you find it? Because again, like I, I, I can't. I don't. I, I'm just making this uh, statement. Tommy Hackenbrook, Matt Chan, uh, Chris Spieler. I, I, and I'm assuming these guys were there. Uh, I, I don't see them creating as much content as you because you're obviously still relative in so many different aspects of the fitness industry now with the NC, with the gyms and the collective and everything like that. Yeah. So, is it? Do you find that like? Because if I mean, if I just got into the sport five years ago, I've never heard of Chris Spieler. I don't even know what that is. You know, Greg Amundsen is in, he's like, that's not even a name that's ever going to hit my radar. You're still at least hyper locally relative to the CrossFit scene because you're still in it. And there's just so much Jason Kalipa content out there. Do you find that those older guys that kind of, I, don't, I definitely don't mean the word like faded away, but like don't have, don't have to be in the social media spotlight as much. Um, you find those guys kind of like they're walking around and some people are like, who's that guy? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that you know I, I can't speak for them. I'm sure that they would like. For example, if you got into CrossFit ten years ago, you definitely know who Chris Spieler is, hundred percent. Yes. Now, and, and and there's some guys that the reason why they're timeless is because they they stayed in the game for a long time. Like I competed at the CrossFit Games eight times. That's a long time. And so if you're competing multiple years in a row, then people start to engage with you. Then they start to want to see your story. So I think for guys who are there for a while, like me, Spieler, obviously like the Fronings of the world, of course, um, or there's something that like, um, like a gravitational pull towards the individual. Like for example, um, like Josh Bridges, you know, he, I think he was on the podium once. He never won. He did well. He did great. But there's a gravitational pull towards him, I think, because, it, well, at least as far as I'm concerned, he was a very unique competitor because he was current active duty Navy SEAL yeah. and also competing at the CrossFit Games, which I thought was like a really cool and still I still think it's cool, yeah. like uh, pull to him. Right. Like there was something different about him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for example, uh, Josh Everett was one of my partners on uh, one of the workouts. And I was like, dude. I was oh, talking man. to one of our, our social media uh, manager here and, you know, she wasn't as familiar with him. I was like, dude, this Bro, guy is, is you know how long I spent trying to split snatch because of that guy. When I first dude, got into it, dude, I was like, this guy's an OG and now he works for the Navy and he's a strength conditioning coach there and he does incredible things there. But to your point, he's not like actively on, yeah, he's on social media a little bit, but it's not sure. like he's trying to grow a brand or anything like that because his career path took him differently. So I think yeah. for the legends that the career path um, was still in the CrossFit space and or 
growing an online business, I think those people obviously are putting out more content. But like, for example, Matt Chan, even though he has trained for the win, he's doing that. He's a full-time firefighter. Firefighter, yeah. Yeah. And and then you got, you know, uh, but, you know, then you got Miko, who's also, if I'm not mistaken, he's, he's fire out in um, Finland. Finland, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I, I do think there's a few names that have stayed pretty timeless, which is cool. Um, Don't you, you know, think that I, would be good yeah. at them, though? Like, I think um, like I always I love ESPN, like 30 for 30s and e, E60s and the documentaries of and they're generally of stories that are not prime time. And I, I mean, like I would I'd love to see, like have CrossFit spend some money and go and just do a 30 minute documentary as to this guy who was a force to be reckoned with Josh Everett. And show what he's doing now. It make him. It make it so much more relatable. Because you know who's totally. not relatable? Everyone's still competing right now, or the Frasers of the world, and like the guys that like you know even Froning, like but guys who have opened gyms, guys who are now yeah. doing this, that, and the other thing. Open good dudes coffee, like Bridges. Like those stories are so relatable. I think it'd be good for the sport. Yeah, I, th- I think I think what the from a sport perspective, specifically from CrossFit, I think what they need to do. This is my opinion. And actually, this is this kind of stems from jiu-jitsu too. So when I look at like jiu-jitsu, and I've gotten pretty into it, I've been in jiu-jitsu now six six years. And I went to a major event called ADCC, which is uh Abu Dhabi uh combat championships. And it is a, a huge, massive, the biggest jiu-jitsu event ever took place okay. in Vegas like three months ago. And when I went there, you have these guys who are at the tip of the spear, similar to the CrossFit Games, right? They've earned their right to be there. It's very difficult, et cetera. But when I'm there as a spectator, I only know a few of the names. And I'm I'm in the sport, and I only know a few of the names. But what I think drives me to it is, first off, they have like a villain. And this villain does a really good job of like, he's the guy that people want to see fail. And I think like CrossFit, the Vince McMahon of Brazilian yeah, Jiu-Jitsu. Exactly. Like, I think CrossFit needs a villain for sure. But I also think that... um the more storytelling that people can do is specific, specifically CrossFit HQ, the more than the spectators can feel ingrained in like these athletes. And then they could feel more like a uh, kind of get to know them better. I think that's, that that's going to be an important component. I think for the CrossFit games, if it wants to grow specifically outside of its niche, where it is today, it, it's got to storytell more because then people who aren't necessarily hardcore CrossFitters will be engaged to see how these people do. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. Um, you were, you know, with you mainly chaining uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu leading up, I mean, the energy systems, like from an EST perspective, I look at that, they're a little bit different, but but do you find that your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu capacity translated over to the to the, to the the heart rate and the speed at which you needed to go at the Invitational? Or, yeah, yeah, the Rogue thing? Yeah, I mean, look, the Rogue Invitational, I was preparing for it. So the first year we ever did the Rogue Invitational in 2019, it was individual. And it was like very competitive, meaning like, uh, you know, we we had a winner. We had a leaderboard. And so because of that, as soon as you put a leaderboard and a, and a, and a, and a winner, it starts to change the di- the dynamics of the event. Um, And so I had trained for that pretty hard. And, you know, I ended up doing well there. But fast forward a couple of years and they took a year off for COVID, maybe a year or two. I can't, I'm not quite sure. And then last year was at the Dell Diamond. And then this year it's at the Dell Diamond, but they switched it up. So the first year was individual, pretty competitive. Last year it was in pairs and it was very low key. That's the same way it was this year. So as far as like a fitness perspective, I didn't necessarily feel like my fitness was like tremendously pushed, but it's also because I was in pretty good shape. Like we did, me and Chan did bar muscle ups on this log. I saw that on the giant they, log. That was great. Yeah, but like if you didn't know how to do that or if you didn't have the capacity to do that, it would have been a very difficult event. But that's why you also have a partner who maybe could have stepped up for you. So 
I feel like from a fitness perspective, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it was more of a showcase, which I think is fine for the legends, but man, the fitness that you get in jujitsu. Oh man. I mean, dude, I just, if, if I could impart anything on anybody listening, like gym owner, coach, athlete, you know, I think that we miss something, you know, I think that we miss this idea of regularly play and learn new sports. And I just think that as a group, we've done a hell of a job being super fit in the gym. I mean, dude, just super fit. But I think this idea of like translating it outside, like, you know, now that my son is really into baseball, I spend a lot of time playing baseball and it feels good when you're like developing these athletic skills. Like I could never throw for shit. Oh, and we I all know throw. Jace. We saw the video. Yeah, I, we, all, we all remember. I know. And so now I feel like, yeah, you know, and then translating it to jiu-jitsu, I, I just think that jiu-jitsu for, for those people in the CrossFit space or in the functional training space, I think that they, if they do jiu-jitsu for three months, they would never regret it. That's my, that's my advice to those people. And I, I obviously can't speak to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I, you know what I think it is with a lot of, let's just talk the recreational, not the, the athletic, not the professional athlete trying to compete in CrossFit because you have to prepare yourself for all that. But for the recreational person, I see them, they get in the CrossFit. And it was really fucking hard. And they stay at it for a couple of years and they're pretty good. Maybe they're one of the better ones in the gym. And it's almost like they don't want to regress. Like we've yeah. all tried to take that athlete who's kind of a little badass in the in the class setting. And he'd be like, yeah, dude, you sure you have kipping hands and push-ups, but they're posi- like, let's work on some strict ones. So like, yeah, no, no, I'm just going to keep, I'm, I've mastered this thing. This is my thing. I really don't want to try to regress that thing because I like being, I don't want this to be, you know, kicking my ass anymore. I want to be like, you know, I want to be, the higher performer in this gym, but you're right. I think I wish gyms, I wish we didn't have the logistics of a 60 minute class. I wish we could run more endurance based workouts. I've been making a lot of com- content on this because I've been venturing in my, my workouts are now 120 to 200 plus minutes. And I mean, you can't, I can't do that. I could never have done that running a business. Right. But now it's like, I look at the average gym. I'm like, we're running what nine to 20 minute average workouts. And we talk about this amazing source of fitness. And the only time we ever hit 40 plus minutes is when Murph comes around and everyone is just freaking out about Murph. Like it's such a challenge. It's three body weight exercises. It's not the movements that scare you. It's the duration of time that scares you. And we never play with that. That's right. Yeah. And and the volume that comes with it, right? Because if you're going for an hour and, you know, in pushups, you know, pull-ups and squats, that's that's a lot of volume. Yeah. Those movements specifically have got wrapped around all over it with the elbow extension and flexion. But but in general, it's like that duration of time. And I think that's honestly what really kind of intrigued me down that path. And even like me with Hinshaw later today, I know I texted you yesterday about it. And, uh, yeah, I'm just super intrigued um, as to what can be done with – Again, taking constantly varied functional movements at varying intensities and tempos and things like that. And and how far can you take that? Like how, you know, how can you train for things that are on the obscene side of the spectrum, like marathon or an ultra or anything like that without directly training for a marathon or an ultra or anything like that? Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm super bullish on it. I, I think that, you know, one of the things that we're going to put out more content on is like, especially here in the Bay Area, you know, our gyms are, are have really rebuilt coming out of COVID. Um, they, they have more room to grow. We're, we're doing a few things which we could talk about. But one of the things I want to spend more time putting content on is like how our members are, are, are optimizing their fitness in the gym to help them outside the gym. And I think that, you know, for the longevity of CrossFit, the longevity of what we do here at our gym or, or any other functional training space, like I think people need to understand the deeper why. 
And the why, if you're not trying to go to the CrossFit Games, like if you're trying to go to the CrossFit Games, dude, you got to be all in and 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 go for it. And you should be in the gym all day, every day. And then once the CrossFit Games come around, go expose yourself to you know, these other, you know, odd object. But if you're trying to, you know, live freely, live fully, if you're trying to go do things outside the gym, that's a strong why that you could dedicate yourself to the gym for the next, you know, decade, two, three, four of your life. And I think that um, if we show people how being in here helps them outside, I think that'll help with our attention. I think that'll help with people's mindset. I think it'll keep them more consistent. And jujitsu for me is is just another outlet that I want to utilize to continue to enhance my fitness. And it, it, it tests me in ways that CrossFit never did. And this is not like, dude, CrossFit from a fitness perspective is exceptional, um, no doubt. Jiu-Jitsu is just different because when someone's trying to, you know, basically sit on your chest and choke you, it, it just, it brings a moment of chaos that that a barbell cannot. Sure. And, and being able to learn how to cope with that chaos, cope with that adversity and 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 push through it and work through it. Is, is something I've, I've found very beneficial for for that particular sport because the the cardio capacity like it's like doing assault bike intervals but instead of being able to like keep your chest up you're literally having someone put their face over your hand their hand over your face and trying to smother you and so it, it just you got to learn how to calm yourself down because you'll freak the fuck out if yeah. you don't. <laughs> I remember Glassman had a great example you know he an example he always used he'd be like you know police officers, uh, you know, their training looks like this, but really getting a fight with somebody, a fight for your life out in the, the alleyway looks more like Fran. Sure. Compared to that, but Fran, the capacity to do a Fran or anything like that, like you said, doesn't include so many other things. Like I was talking to a bunch of the, at the Charlotte marathon here, I was talking to a bunch of guys and my biggest thing and even playing around and running is like finding a pace and sticking to it and having the diligence to Dial in a pace and know and like because it's that's something in CrossFit, you know, most people it's kind of, you know, in the recreational scene, we kind of blow it out the door, you know, it's go ham, it's go hard. But if you're going to go for a long time, you have to be very strategic as when to go and when to slow. Um, And, you know, I, for any gym owners listening, dude, Jace is so on to something like it's literally a rock climbing club, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, local run group hiking and biking there are definitely local businesses in your area that do something in around those you should be planning quarterly monthly every six to eight weeks go and partner and go do an event at the local rock climbing place you don't have to pay for it make the members all pay but see if you can get a private like can we get two hours at the rock climbing place private and all the members who want to participate can and get your alpha your top performing mavens in the gym to come out to the local brazilian jiu-jitsu place where they're going to give you guys like a 101 on rolling and shit like that just for your gym and i'm sure if you be like hey man i'm gonna bring 30 people in here and they'll all pay whatever you want them to do we just want to demonstrate our fitness outside of our four walls what a great way to collab with other businesses and like you said live bigger more freely all that yeah so so um one of the things that chris hinshawn you'll talk to him later uh the the biggest thing that he taught me back in like 2012, 13 is this idea of pacing. And I think that appropriate pacing when you're utilizing a clock in particular, especially for running, it's so easy to pace when you're running. If you like can have like the mental toughness and the, the, the wherewithal and the ability to do it. Like, so for example, with him, the first time I met Chris, he goes, Hey man, I want you to run a mile for time. And I think I ran it like in six Oh three or whatever it was. I can't remember. It was maybe six minutes. And this is like way back then. And when he looked at my splits, he's like, I want to know your splits. So first 400 was like a minute 20, 
then a minute 30, then a minute 40, and then I just fell off, whatever it was. Yeah. And, you know, then over time, we ended up working together. And, you know, my mile time got down significantly past that. But it was because of being able to appropriately pace. And on the track, it's beautiful because we would use, um, you know, just a basic stopwatch. But when you're on the track versus out on the street, um, it's so easy because it's you consistent. have the markers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your 100, your 200, your 400 splits. It, it's just great. And so I think that's a really good way. Like even today, right? If you put me out on the street, I know exactly. I, I mean, just because I've done this so many times. I know what a six minute mile pace feels like. I know what a seven minute mile pace feels like. I know what an eight minute mile pace feels like those three um, because I've worked each one so many times. So I'm looking forward to your conversation with Hinshaw. Um, One thing for the gym owner thing. So when it comes to jiu-jitsu, I don't think that a CrossFit gym and a jiu-jitsu gym are competitors. I think they're completely different. I actually think they're very supplemental to each other. Oh yeah. And I found that, you know, in both communities, it's not like, a slam dunk, meaning like it's not a slam dunk to get someone who's in a CrossFit gym to go do jiu-jitsu, and it's not a slam dunk for someone who does jiu-jitsu to do CrossFit. I find that there's these walls and barriers that are built up, but both communities need each other. And the reason why I think that is that I've met countless jiu-jitsu guys. I mean, shit, at my last competition, I'll give you a great example. I was at my last competition, and the guy I beat the first round, I, I beat him, I beat him pretty good. Um, he he was competing with another guy in front of me like uh after i beat him he had like it was like a round robin thing and so he had another match and this guy comes out and he's beating this dude nine points to zero i was pretty impressed like i mean he got him in good positions it was it was solid like solid i'm like wow like this guy makes me feel pretty good because i beat you and now you're beating this guy but dude the match that we were doing was six minutes long which doesn't sound that long but it's pretty long and six minutes long and this guy gets three minutes in and he's up by nine points. And then all of a sudden you see a, like a literally like an energy system shift in him. And he goes from hundred to zero, just wow. He just crashes. Guy, dude, just crashes. And this other guy just goes from being like down zero, uh, down nine points to just getting on top of him, twisting it in an arm bar and just submits him. And it was like, it was like so just, I, I wish I had it on video because literally it just would have been a great example for anybody to say condition doesn't matter in jiu-jitsu. Sure as shit, it does. And I think that that's an area where jiu-jitsu athletes are a little bit closed-minded in terms of strength conditioning. And then I'd flip that the opposite way in CrossFit. I think that in CrossFit, you know, we, we, we love things in the gym, but I think we should be more open-minded to learning new skills that are on the mat. I think that they translate really well to each other. Yeah, right. no, I love it. All good. And you and every everyone else that owns it, especially business owners, they just love the mental chess of it from what I hear. Um, well, cool. Uh, so, yeah, while we're jamming us, so I had an idea. I sent you an email. I had an idea. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we could talk about – yeah, last thing on Jiu-Jitsu, if you decide to yeah. do it, just like CrossFit, just like any gym, go find a great coach. Go find a great community. Check your ego at the door. It's all the exact same things that you would advise. If you're a gym owner, the, the exact same things you'd advise your students – is what you should advise yourself when you're exploring new new training. Find a great environment, find a great coach, and be safe. And just take your ego and drop it down. Because a lot of the times, if you're an alpha and you're at your gym and you're out dominating everybody, you're going to go here and you're yeah. going to have someone who's much smaller than you turn you into a pretzel. It's going to happen. And you just need to be okay with that because if you act irrationally, if you whatever, that's when people get hurt and it's not appropriate. Just go there and get inspired by that. Don't be pissed off by that. I, I think there's so much value in like in the individual. I'm impressed when individuals are okay with becoming a beginner again. 
Like, again, I don't run. I'm not a runner. I went and did your Yasso 800, though, by the way. Um, and so I, I, I went and got a bunch of data points for Henshaw. So I went and got my VO2 max test done. We're doing lactate threshold, all that. I, you know, I record, did the 5K. Then I did the Yasso 800. And I'm getting him all these data points. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, because running, I suck at I could tell you, I feel like I could have a conversation very just like you could. We could talk with pretty much almost anybody at a high level when it comes to strength and conditioning, but especially when it comes to the mechanics of resistance training. Sure. I am an absolute moron when it comes to the biomechanics of running. I know I'm running. I can't tell you what's actually happening at the time. Like I cannot really break it down. And so I've gone and I'm meeting with, I got local coaches. I've got people around the country. I'll be traveling around to because I'm like, I don't know anything about running. I'm watching old 2000, like four videos of Brian McKenzie with the old pose method stuff. Like, oh yeah, dude, I'm breaking it dude. all out. And I love Dude, so, it, but uh, you know who's really into it is Mark Bell. Mark uh, Bell is super into running right now. That's exactly where I was going with it. The two things I've noticed, if I've noticed trends alongside all of fitness, so let's call like, again, bodybuilding, the CrossFit and all that, just regular gym fitness. The two trends I'm seeing is number one, obviously Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The second one is guys that have played on one end of the spectrum of the strength side, whether they're bodybuilders or ex, you know, world's strongest powerlifters now playing and you know, playing on the other side of the spectrum. I, there's a guy, I don't know if you ever see him. His name is Nick bear. Uh, yeah. He owns yeah. B yeah. Nick bar. So, yeah. Yeah. Bear dude, bar. Yeah. It's yeah. Bear. Yeah. Bear. Uh, yeah. Bear. Bro is a he shit. Brick podcast. Dude, yeah. He fucking ran like a something, something marathon. And dude, he's, he's pretty impressive. Him and I have connected a few times. I, I he's out in Austin. I, I'm yeah. supposed to go see him pretty soon. That's see, that's a guy I want to connect with too. Cause I, I, when I found him, I was like, there we go. There's another example of like this world of strength and being like, okay, I'm strong, but why, let me go be a beginner and something. Right? He's got a military background, so they run for fucking days, but still like, I'm seeing a lot of blends of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu in fitness. And then like this endurance thing in fitness. Cause I think people see the David Goggins of the world. They're like, that dude's pretty yeah. fucking ripped. And he's a psycho on the road. He can just run hundreds of miles or whatever. And I, before I used to, I'll admit it. I made fun of people. I LSD, right. Getting in the crossfit. I was like, Oh, I don't yeah. need to do that LSD shit. Uh, that's silly. Now, for you, a games level athlete, they taught you guys pretty fucking quick. Don't don't poo poo that. Like, right? Like yeah, you yeah. better you better be on your P's and Q's with it. But for the average general fitness person, it was like, oh, I got I just do CrossFit. I don't need to run long. And and it's not that you need to, but how fit are you really if you can't go out and do a 5K in a, a, or a, you know a, or run 10 miles or whatever it may be, or even longer? Yeah, I mean, because yeah. you know it's interesting when I was really you know for the CrossFit Games, we've done some really long events, and so I've I've experienced triathlons. I've gone for a couple hours. I've done some stuff. Um, in training, uh, we did, we did like, a this one marathon loop this one time with, uh, with Hinshaw. Actually, when you talk to him later today, uh, you should talk to him about this one time, me and Miranda, we were running, dude, we ran these loops. They're like 10 mile loops. It was miserable. But, um, most recently I just ran a half marathon in San Francisco and it was just really eye opening for me, just time on your feet and the impact it has. And, um, just for, for me, I, I, I do not enjoy long distance running. I don't, uh, you know, I'm a pretty decent sized guy. I just, it's a lot of impact. Frankly, it's something I could probably get better about, but man, <laughs> I was getting passed up by people this half marathon that, you know, <laughs> you don't think that would pass you up and man, sure. they're, just, they're just cruising dude. So, um, yeah, it, but it's funny. <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was saying dude. I got I like I was getting shame. I like uh I went to go. I've never raced before. It's like this 5K I did the other day. That's the first dude. time I've ever done organized racing. The woman checking me in. Well, how how was, long did it take you? Uh, I did an 1855. Wow. Uh, 
so yeah, so like six six oh five pace, and and that's just with just running, just only running in like doing my tempo training for about four weeks because I decided that's to fast, do this dude. on a whim. So I go get checked in, and this chick's giving me my bib, and she's like five k, and then she's like, and she's like making fun of me, like you know, I'm I'm probably like two oh five right now. She's like. Yeah, I don't know. You, you're going to stretch enough for their big guy before you go out there and run. And then I go, I'm like, I've never been to a race. So I don't know what the proper etiquette is for like getting to the starting line. Yeah. yeah. But I, I kind of want to be, yeah, I kind of yeah, want to yeah. be up there and people are looking at me like, get the fuck back there. And it, it, again, they're your traditional runner physiques. Like I was the outlier walking in there a little bit, you know, more muscle than, than maybe some of these other people. And at the end though, I had great conversations. I had a guy literally come up. He's like, I'm not going to lie, bro. I had no idea what you were doing up there at the front, but hey, cause I came in first overall, my age group, like fourth in the, out of the entire thing. And they, these guys afterwards gave me some daps, but they're like, yeah, you don't look like you're going to put on some speed. And, but that's the same thing. Like we talk about, if you're the fitter CrossFit guy and you look like you can throw around weight and do some barbell mu- bar muscle ups, awesome. Now go be a beginner at something else again, something you suck at that you don't look like you can do well. That's the thing that I, I think I really excites me about this whole thing. Dude, I think it's awesome. I just, it would, dude, uh, Chris wasn't here for this, but so Chris ran this first lap with me and I went for like, this is like right before the CrossFit Games. And I wanted to get time on my feet. And you could talk to him about this, but when with time on your feet, it's really important. So, if people want to go to like do a marathon, like it's all good and well to do, you know, intervals and whatnot, but you have to eventually expose your body to these longer durations when you start just because of the time on your feet, it's just a yeah. lot of pounding. It's, it's a lot. And I, I think that interval training is exceptionally valuable. I think that running fast helps you to run fast, but I think that at some times you got to clock the volume, longer. you got to get the volume. And, uh, we would go in these, the, these foothills of, of, of the Bay area. And we would train here for years, dude. And this one time we had this 10 mile loop, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure it's 10 mile. And I run the first one with Chris and uh, a woman named Molly. If, I, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, and then Miranda met us for the next loop. So then I did the next loop with her. So the first loop I did with them, second loop I did with uh, Miranda. And so I'm looking at my watch and I was running late and I had to be at an event with, with Ashley, my wife. And I was like, oh shit, but you can only run so fast, dude. I mean, when you're, and you know, you don't expect to be on the run for, you know, three hours or whatever it was. Yeah. So I, I get back to the car and at that point we had just finished 20 miles of running and I'm exhausted, like physically, mentally, just exhausted. I have my shirt in the back of the car. I'm like, okay, I got to get here. So I get to the car and I'll never forget. I'm like messed up. I, 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 Miranda looks at me. She's like, dude, are you all right? I was like, I gotta go. I gotta go. So I get in my car and I'm so messed up that I, I take off my shirt and I messed up. I have to pull over my car because I'm so fatigued. I had to like regroup myself. So I pull over the car. I regroup myself. I drive a little bit more. I walk into this thrift store, like a, <laughs> a this like convenience store. And I'm so messed up, like from lack of sugar and whatever. That I walk in there, no shirt on, just like my compression shorts on. I grab a sparkling water and a Gatorade. I throw them on the counter and I just lay there for a minute. <laughs> and, and the guy must look at me. The guy must look at me like, what the fuck is the matter with this kid? He comes in here. So anyways, I pound the Gatorade, you know, 10 minutes later, yeah. I feel way better. But it's just a good example of like blood sugar, be aware. Oh, yeah. I should Crashing. not have been driving, but I was just crashing hard. 
but I just think back to that day and like that guy was probably telling stories for the next little bit. Like that's a crazy part about the endurance community, like having to learn about intra workout nutrition. Like, oh, when dude, you for sure when, when I'm doing my two plus hour workouts, like I have got to take in dextro sugar. I've got to take in carbs throughout it. And it's again, it's it was a whole thing I never had to do in CrossFit. Um, the dope. So I think this will be fun. I want to we'll transition to business shit. So I do this thing with myself when I'm bored. I will look at a business and even just ignorantly, if I don't know a ton, I'll just mentally in my head. What are their biggest opportunities? What are their biggest vulnerabilities? It's like this drill I like to do when I look at a business and I see an ad. I'm like, that's fucking interesting. First go, what do I see as the biggest opportunities and vulnerabilities of it? And I've done that with some people now that are like you and me, entrepreneurs, and the conversations always always get really get really interesting and like just fun kind of like kind of stuff. So I thought for for this, I got a handful of different random businesses here and we'll we'll talk about them. We'll see what what do we think are their biggest opportunities as a business, knowing nothing intimately about them. But then what do we also see is from our point of view, what their what the biggest vulnerabilities to that business or that business model would be. You down? Sure. Yeah. Blockbuster would have been a good one to talk about yeah. seven years, 10 years. Yeah, ago. It would have been a great one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would have been an absolute great one. We, I mean, we can even do like Netflix now. I mean, cause every business has opportunity and vulnerability. Like every business has the two. There's no one that's void of one of those. Yeah. Um, and one thing, one thing I'd add for anybody who's going to enjoy this episode is, um, when you look at like opportunities, threats, weaknesses, whatever, like there, there, you have to take everything with a, a grain of salt, meaning like there's always opportunity costs in multiple different ways. If you try and pursue too much, it might distract you from your core focus. If you don't diversify enough, then if your core focus goes away, you're screwed. Blockbuster is a great example, right? Their core focus was DVDs, rentals, whatever. They probably didn't want to make that pivot to online streaming. They didn't see value there. Maybe they didn't have the bandwidth. Maybe they didn't have the knowledge, whatever. They didn't make that pivot and boom, now they're gone. But maybe if they had made that pivot too early, as an example, and distracted their business, they would have still failed because they weren't being good at brick and mortar and they weren't doing good at digital. So I'm just using that as an example. That yeah, no, it's I think what's one. really important for gym, for businesses, including our own, is like, dude, we, we've gone out and we've explored a lot of different things. And sometimes I look back and I ask myself, like, if we hadn't have explored those, what would have happened? Sometimes it would have been better for us. Sometimes it would have been detrimental because things like, like COVID happen and your brick and mortar get crushed, you know? So, yeah. But let's chat well, about it. Whatever good. you got. So the last two that we'll do, I've got, I've got NC Fit and WTF. So I've got like our two businesses is right. the last two that we'll do at the very end. Um, all right. It. So here's one. And only because it's probably one of the gro biggest growing content categories in the past five years podcasters like ah what what do you see or like if you're if someone's getting into podcasting now or maybe they're slightly more established but what's the biggest opportunity for podcasters currently the biggest opportunity yeah like well, well from a the reason why i like podcasts is because i think long form drives engagement and drives brand building and drives value add so i think when someone listens to someone long form they could get to know them more. They could actually understand the value that individual can provide versus like a TikTok or an Instagram story where it's just like so like clickbait-ish. Mm -hmm. Like when you listen to a podcast, if you are actually knowledgeable on the subject matter that you are wanting to describe, people could pick up on that very quickly. So I think yeah. that's the opportunities. If you're, if you're SME, if you're a subject expert in something or you have um, a knowledge base in something, I think it's a great outlet to share that. I mean, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's a thousand percent. I, and I, I would, to echo that, I think, um, like, I think what you've done, I remember we talked about this a while ago. I think podcasting allows you to, 
you can go short and long. You've got your three minute sound bites that you have that short form podcast and you're capturing a lot of people who might not listen to effort over everything, or at least not all in one shot. And then That's you're right. also having the longer form stuff and you're able to do both within, you know, and, and, and with relatively low production cost and value, like it's not a ton. Um, I think the biggest opportunity right now is I'm seeing, you know, Instagram just released subscriptions, Patreon, but I mean, I mean, imagine if Gary V and he wouldn't, but imagine if Gary V tomorrow said like, yeah, our podcast costs $3 a month. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's you know, a revenue stream right there. Yeah. So I, I think um, to, you know, to monetize it is something you could do at some point and you got to weigh the pros and cons. Like, okay, am I getting more out of this by keeping it free and open source for everyone to find me and, and whatever, or do I do two different channels? Like a lot of people do like Tim Dillon, a comedian that I'm just absolutely obsessed with. He's got a Patreon and charges for that type of content, but then he's got his free podcast that still goes out on a regular cadence. Um, so yeah, yeah. there's stuff. Well, but here's the thing, right? It's about opportunity costs. So let's just say you're a gym owner out there, right? And it's like, okay, do I want to start a podcast? All right, let's talk about this. What are the benefits? Well, you could you could uh, establish yourself more as a subject material expert. You could grow your brand. You could tell stories about your members. You could potentially monetize through paid ads on your podcast. Maybe someone will share your podcast and they'll tell a friend who will then listen to the podcast, get engaged and come join your gym. Right. These are these are just examples. Right. Sure. Um, or eventually you can say, hey, guys, members of XYZ Gym, if you want to listen to our podcast, we're going to charge you an extra five dollars a month and maybe you'll be able to sell it to them. whatever. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, if you want to ever do any type of paid ads on a podcast, you need to be getting, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of downloads per episode to make it worth your while. You know, I think on average, it's anywhere from 30 to 50 dollars per every thousand downloads is like the per average. CPM, yeah. Yeah. The average. So let's just say you go out there and you get a thousand downloads on this podcast on average, you know, now there's exceptions to this, right? If you're a more niche market, et cetera, sure. but you're talking about 50 bucks. Well, that's not even going to necessarily pay for the equipment in the, in a year. If you, yeah. even if you, so I think as a gym owner or as somebody who's interested in the podcast, because I think there's a ton of, of pros, the cons are right your time and energy and effort, and then what model you want to take. So let's just say you take the model like this, where you have guests on. Well, now you have to take the energy to identify the guests. You're, you're, you have to allocate time for that guest. You need to do some basic research to understand that guest, assuming you don't know that person already. So now each podcast you're taking, let's just say two to three hours, you have to go acquire the equipment that's required. Let's just say that's another $1,000 or whatever you want. So when you start weighing the pros and cons, could you actually drive more potential value if you went out and did something different? Sure. Oh yeah. A hundred percent, especially as a gym owner, you know, I, I, a hundred percent, I think the opportunities for the podcast are definitely going to be siloed more into the world of make it free, highlight the members, all that, you know, local businesses, stuff like that. Yep. And again, the vulnerabilities are just like you said, it's going to be essentially what else is it taking you away from? Yep. <clears throat> so, yeah. Okay. So, uh, podcasts, uh, supplement companies. This is one that's like, for me, I think the opportunity in supplement companies in that industry going forward is going to be like customized shit. So like I mentioned Nick Bear. So I discover him and I knew he was a supplement BSN, company. right? Yeah, B, uh, BPN, BPN. BPN, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I never thought, like, I like his content and I, and I like what he's doing, but I never thought about his company. And then I started doing these endurance workouts and I'm like, I need more sugar mid-workout. I need more carbs, but I need it in something. I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want just Gatorade. 
And then I found he's got a, a supplement uh, that's like an electrolyte and carbohydrate mix that you could have mid long, long runs. And I was like, oh, perfect. But I like, I wish I could have just gone to the supplement company that I was using originally and like custom formulated something like, you know, like, you know, having a profile be like, these are my needs and custom formulations on supplements without, you know, I'm not starting my own brand of supplement, but I would like to be able to create custom you know, versions of this. And I see that a lot with the companies like CrossFit Health is doing, where you do like your genetic markers and all this stuff. And they prescribed you these custom fucking vitamins and shit like that based on what you're deficient in. You're deficient in vitamin D. We're giving you more vitamin D in your multivitamin every day. But on the supplement side, the only thing I can see really going forward is giving people like a custom, like you only want a whey protein isolate or you only want, you know, grass fed vegan, you know, or some kind of kind of protein is like that. But beyond that, I think more there's more vulnerabilities in the supplement industry right now than there probably are opportunities. Well, well I mean, the, the, the market is giant, right? Um, but the but the but there's a lot of saturation in the market, right? You got first yes. form, you have G, you know, you, you you name it, you got. But, you know, one of the one of the struggles with anything that's individualized is, you know, um, obviously, in supplements in particular, you have shipping costs, you have holding costs, you have inventory costs, you have, um, you have, uh, looking at how your line is built out. Right. So a lot of these guys, they're, they're getting their protein from the same place. They're relabeling it. They're doing whatever, but it's like pretty cookie cutter. Right. Sure. But if you want to have your own individual, you then have to create your own individual line on one of these packaging plants and then have an individual formulation for this individual. And sure. so, I imagine from a, from a cost of goods, it'll just skyrocket from a supplementation perspective. So, so, I mean, I, I, although I think it's a cool concept, I think that's an area where supplements, you know, in general, man, they come from the same plant. They're all the same. They're similar. Yeah. And it's all about in supplements. It's all about the brand. It's all about brand building. Like why is Nick bears better than first form, which is better than Tim Kennedy's, which is better than whatever. Yeah. It's just because you buy into the individual, you buy into the brand like Podium, for example. Like, is Podium really any different than your everyday, you know, protein? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Matt Frazier says it is. Matt Frazier says it is. And, like, again, that's, like, where these personal brands like a Nick Bayer or for Andy Frisella, like, people, they're buying the supplement not because anything that's different in the ingredient list. It's just because the person pushing it they identify with. And you're that's 100% right. right. Well, that takes me to the next one. So – Online fitness programming companies. Oh boy! So my, Marcus and me, I did the I did the shoot the shit with him this past year, and uh, I'm out of his place. And one of the things that stuck out of my head, we were talking, you know, is how does uh, a Marcus Philly or a Miranda or a Ryan Fisher or anyone who's they are the face of the brand for this online programming? What does succession look like? Like what is transition like? Or will they always have to be slave to the red? record light on a camera, you know? I, I mean, I think, you know, um, I think Mark Bell's done a good job of this. Um, I think I, we are trying to here, um, which is just elevate others on your team. And then it's, it's like, it's like putting in a new coach, right? So when you, when you're the owner, you're, you coach all the classes, then all of a sudden you have an assistant coach where your members start to get to know them. And then eventually that assistant coach is a head coach. You become the assistant. And then eventually that coach can just coach and you're just off yeah. doing whatever you're doing. Same thing I think applies for, for media. It just takes a long time. You know, Mark Bell's done a good job building up his team in particular, this uh, gentleman in SEMA. In SEMA. Yeah. He's more on the content. He's out there. He's building his own brand within the Mark Bell brand. And I think that's ultimately what will happen. I think that you, know, you take like a Marcus Philly, 
when I think about Marcus Philly, it's, it's Marcus Philly. But I wonder if he had a protege or someone else that he would start training with on a regular basis and then have that person slowly integrated into videos and then have that person. And the, the downside there, and you, you got to check your ego if you want to do this, is that you're basically propping up other people. And those people can eventually leave you and go do their own thing, right? It's happened many times before. But eventually, if you have a goal or aspiration of making the business bigger than yourself, you have to prop people up and you have to be okay that some of those people might leave. You know, we've propped up tons of people here at this gym. And, you know, when you make, when you prop people up, it's good, but they might be able to leave and go do something else. And, and if they do, it is what it is, I, is yeah. my recommendation for people like that, you know? I, I see every personal brand and it just reminds me of like what I call like the Jersey Shore paradigm, like reality TV. Like road rules, real world. Remember all the shit we used to watch on MTV? Like ultimately sure. now, like most personal brands are kind of essentially that. It's, it's reality TV, maybe in smaller vertical screens, shorter duration episodes, but that's essentially it is. But those that make it more reality, like really show the inside, not just like the same, here's me doing a workout kind of thing. Those are the brands that kind of, boop, they pop and explode. Like I always give kudos to Miranda and Julian. When yeah, they, they did the vlog of Miranda doing the, the bathtub birth and going through that whole process. I mean, that was one of the realest things I ever saw. And I was just like, you have to be so comfortable letting people on the inside. And that's like the real version of reality TV. Now, everything is going to be slightly thought about, not scripted, I want to say, but like pre-planned. Um, yeah. But it's uh, that, yeah, it's, you know, creating a personal brand is essentially going back to reality TV and just doing it in a slightly more authentic way. Um to, yeah, to but think about it. Are. Like, but what are your exit options, right? Let's just take a, a, um, a Marcus Philly, right? Marcus has has done a good job building up his brand of functional bodybuilding. Kudos to him. And like, I'm a big like abundance guy. That's the way I I like to live my life. Like, I want to see everybody in our space in my life thriving. I do not want to stifle their growth or. I don't need someone to lose for me to win. Is is the way I look at it. I we many of us can win. And that's just the way I honestly feel. Um, and when it comes to Marcus and what he's doing, like his opportunities might not be to like, maybe he doesn't want to sell the brand. Maybe he doesn't want to highlight someone. Maybe he just wants to cash flow that thing, C purchase some buildings. And sure. then, and then that's his strategy, right? Like it's okay to have that strategy. If you're building up your personal brand and, you know, because it makes it harder to sell, it's hard to sell functional bodybuilding if Marcus Philly isn't involved. But maybe that's not his strategy. Maybe the idea is cash flow it, take X amount of profitability each year, go buy, you know, investment properties. And in 10 years from now, you're now sitting on 10 different properties that are cash flowing you 30 G's a month. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and again, it all comes down to like to the mission and the goal of the whole thing and what you want to do with it. And in, in talking with Marcus, you know, it's, it's incredible. Everyone sees him, but functional bodybuilding, he's got a team of coaches and they service a lot of people with individual coaching. And, um, but yeah, it, you're right. It's one of those things where, you know, think of actors, think of like an actor that was real prominent, maybe when you and me were in high school or college even, and we haven't seen him forever. Like, man. What, that? what the hell is Catherine Zeta-Jones doing? Like, what the last movie she was in? Like, it's okay to be, and which, again, when you are a, uh, a personal brand in social media in today's world, you are kind of like an actor. Like, that is your job. You are to play a role. Your role is you. But there's a day where you just don't take on any more movies or you just kind of fade out your content and you just kind of fade back to the, you know, fade to the darkness. But it's when you create a recurring product behind it. You know, is there a point where Marcus Philly has enough videos 
that he doesn't need to produce another one. Like he can go an entire year without creating another video because how many toes to bar and Turkish get up videos can you make? Dude. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. The content creation side, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting world and we're still playing with a lot of it over here at NC fit and we're not experts by any means. We've learned a lot. Um, I think we're finally on like a, you know, the, the long format stuff, I think drives a lot of value, but it's expensive. And um, it takes time to build up a YouTube audience. It takes time to build up people, you know, c consuming that information. You know, for me, I love the idea of long form. I love long form. I, I'm not as, you know, Instagram-ish, whatever, but that's where a lot of the audience is and that's their attention span. But I, my goal is to drive more people towards YouTube content in the future. I agree. Um, so that we could actually make a bigger impact on them. Do you find your, do you watch a lot? Do you watch a lot of YouTube? Um, I watch some YouTube. Um, I, yeah, not, yes, I do. Probably not as much as I maybe should, um, in terms of educational material. Like sure. I like, like if I'm looking something up, I look on YouTube. Like yeah. if I want, want to know, you know, how to put something together, how to, um, like, uh, you know, I, I do that kind of stuff all the time. Like the other day I had a flat tire on my, on my Raptor and I could not figure out how to get the, um, spare tire to come down because it's yeah. just, it's not intuitive. Like I'm looking at, I'm like, what the fuck? So anyways, I YouTube it. Sure enough, I got to do this and this and this and this and this and boom, there you go. Got yeah. my answer. Yeah. No, there, there's always, again, there's like, I joke around my, you know, my kid, she's five and a half. But I'm like, she, you know, like you're going to YouTube you. Like that's like, you're literally like, we're here to find your niche. And there's gonna be some dude that's making videos for free. That's probably better than a college education that you could get. Cause some of the videos that people make are so incredible. Like the production value is insane. Yeah. And it takes a lot, but you know, I was talking to actually one of our videographers yesterday and it's, it's not, it's, it's a difficult balance because for this gentleman, right. If he films me all day and then edits for another day, it's two days of his labor. Yep. So let's just call that X amount. X amount of dollars, right? Yeah. You put a number on what that, that is. Then you say, okay, well now I'm going to go put it up on YouTube and it's going to get X amount of views. So, but then if you do that for X amount of months or years, you're going to build up an audience. But if you do that for just like six months, you ended up just basically wasting your money. It's a very, it, or, or three months. It, it's just, it's a very interesting, you have to really make a commitment and then stick with it for time. Otherwise, uh, it, it'll never build a big enough audience to make an impact. Yeah. And content does have compounding interest. The more content you put out there, the more searchable you are, the more often you're going to pop up on choice words like AMRAP mentality. You own that space, yeah, right? Yeah. You put in micro gym or, you know, whatever. I'm probably going to pop like if you stay around a topic and you try to really own and brand something and you make enough pieces of video post stuff about it, the Internet will give you kudos and credit on that because it has compounding interest over time as you keep adding more content to it. Right. Um, all right. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Studios, they're obviously getting more ah. popular. They have the financial – when I look at it from a business perspective, I love their – I love the financial opportunities there because they are low-cost equipment-wise to get started. Um, they're still probably with a clientele that doesn't demand the ritziest, most retail – expensive locations, you know, type scenario. Talk to me. You're definitely the one that get this, but like for me, I see the Brazilian, if Brazilian jiu-jitsu studios are pretty much all kind of status quo, the way they are probably most of them are kind of no frills, great community, great coaching. What is it that what's the opportunity for Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Is it more content? Cause everyone just assumes I'm going to roll in. I'm going to show up. And they're going to give me a robe and I'm going to do a little bit of this with somebody like, you know, what, where's the opportunity for BJJ studios?
the, the opportunity in the jiu-jitsu space is how to integrate a new athlete into the gym. That's the opportunity. Like onboarding? If, yeah. If you find the right model there, it's going to be, it's going to be profound because the problem is the barrier to entry to get into a jiu-jitsu studio is 10x the barrier to entry to get into a CrossFit gym. It, it's, it is so intimidating, so intimidating. And it, it, the, the, the onboarding process is, is the opportunity. Here's what I mean by that is that when you have a new person come into a gym, you could adjust the weights, you could scale it. You could say, Hey, look, you know, John brand new to the game. Do me a favor. Go ahead and drop, drop that down to five reps. Go ahead and take your time, take this rest in between, and you could individualize it for them. And then boom, the rest of the class is rock and rolling. Or you could have a fundamentals on ramp, whatever you want to do. In jujitsu, the struggle is even if you have a fundamentals, I've found that it's it's either too little or too much. Meaning, like if you go in there and you just work some basic technique, right? Let's just say you work side control. You're learning something new, which is exciting. But a lot of people also want to get the fitness component. So yes, they want to learn self-defense, but they also want weight loss. They want fitness. And I feel like those people after a while who never do any type of sparring, they really never even get their heart rate elevated. They never do. It's just all technique. technique. Maybe there's a little bit of a warm-up. But in general, I think what they need to do in jiu-jitsu is bridge the gap. Because sometimes you'll come in and you're a beginner. And I've seen gyms where you just come in and you you do your warm-up, you do a skill, and then all of a sudden they throw you in the deep end and you start sparring. And if you spar with the wrong person on the wrong day, you're never coming back yeah. ever. Yeah. On the flip side, I've seen it where they don't let anybody spar, which is, I think could be fine, but then they never feel like they get any, like nothing, right? They don't get any sweat or whatever. It'd be like going to a no sweat intro. It's like when you leave, you're like, okay, that was fine. Sure. So I think there needs to be this blend of like in the beginning of jujitsu, I think it should be like more fitness and then some technique and then over time go more technique, a little less fitness. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. So Brazilian jujitsu studios could definitely benefit from like a PT first model where people come in and they're signed 100%. up and you know, you have 10 privates, 15 private, whatever a number that you come up with. And maybe the Brazilian jujitsu facilities of the future have a handful of concept two products that are there for getting the heart rate up. And like, you know, when you're not rolling and in between, they have you keeping your heart rate high, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah or no. like a PT, I could see a very successful model being like, Hey, you know, PT first. Cause the way I started jujitsu was p- privates. I think it's a great way. Cause you get acclimated. It's also do like, let's be serious. There is something, it is very uncomfortable to have that type of physical connection with another human being in particular, the opposite sex, but even the same sex, it's weird, man. And you gotta, you gotta break through that. And when you break through it in a private session, it's a little bit easier. Cause like, anyways, that's the opportunity. I think privates. And then to your point, yeah, get a couple of bikes or something in there. So that before they leave, they get in like, Hey, awesome job today. We worked side control. We worked this. You did great. Now, before you leave, we're going to do a 10 minute workout, just kind of get the heart rate up and work some of the conditioning pieces of jujitsu that we think will carry over to the mat. I think that would be an awesome model. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's, uh, we'll wrap up with ours. So I'm going to, you go first. I'm going to have you, what are the biggest, uh, opportunities and vulnerabilities for NC fit today? Um, biggest opportunities I think is to optimize our current brick and mortar member base by servicing them more and better. Um, you know, increasing, uh, LTV, increasing average, you know, uh, their monthly spend here, I think, uh, diving into things like nutrition, personal training, additional services on top of whatever. I mean, when you look at the, our two flagship locations now, and COVID's kind of changed our landscape, but all, in the Bay Area now, 
with two flagship plus all of our licensees, you know, you have close to a thousand members between our two uh, flagship and so uh, active. And so now the question becomes, how do I service them? How do I increase their, how do I take this audience that already loves us and dive deeper to impact their results, et cetera. So that's, that's, that's a opportunity for us. The other opportunity I think is to service gym owners better with more services that we find successful here at our gyms by creating a, you know, better marketplace to dive deeper with them. Um, I think those are the two like big opportunities we have. I think threats are, um, you know, what, our corporate wellness model, you know, are we going to dive deeper there? Are we going to kind of, is our, if our focus is not there, we might need to pivot away from that because if anything we're not focused on, we're not going to be the best at it. And if we can't be the best at it, we might be, shouldn't be doing it. Um, I think it's a great, a great way to look at it. So would you say that for NC fit, the opportunity is growth of members is obviously, there's always a number you got to entertain, but it's more set more. So selling more, the current members, more a robust package of services. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like, um, you know, one of our locations, right. Um, we're, we're, we're getting close to, to occupancy. We're getting close. Um, that location right now is 95 classes a week. We're going to bump it to 105. Oh, wow. And that I think is probably the most that location can support. There's a two room model there. So if you're, if you're tapping out your membership, hypothetically, you're being real about it. Then the question becomes, okay, at, at the heart of it, I think this idea that we have not incorporated nutrition is, is shame on me. It's my fault. Because I've always wanted to stay away from it, but I think that nutrition is the easiest way to start seeing results quicker. I think it would have helped our retention. I think it would have helped us dive deeper, you know, get, getting our member results. So that's something we're, we're focused on right now. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of gyms and I, cause I, I was, you know, my advice and typically is that be a good pocket knife and then break out your Swiss army knife at add-ons. Yep. Um, and then with nutrition, it's kind of like with someone who has multiple locations and you typically the way we see it done is there's one or two like RDs, legit RDs brought into the company and they work with the clients at the multiple different locations and a more of a remote setting. You don't need to be in person necessarily for nutrition. All the, you know, that, you know, there's plenty of companies proven you don't have to be. Um, but no, you're right. Like it's something that as a gym is like, man, our fitness services, we're doing pretty good here. Now it's, do I get more clients or do I get current clients to pay more money? Those are really our only two opportunities. It's generally the latter. And you're right. Nutrition is one of the, one of the better options for that. If you already have the fitness service thing down. Yeah. I think um, PT is a good option too, but I think uh, we're exploring both, both and we're looking forward to providing that feedback to gym owners. I'd say in about three to six months, we'll have a very, very powerful financial statement to, to, to show like, yeah. Hey, this is what we did. This is why we did it. This is how we did it. We're not talking hypotheticals. This is actual. Um, and I think it's an area where, frankly, to be honest, like, dude, it's it's kind of, you know, COVID taught us a lot. But I think the fact that we're not diving deeper in a variety of ways is, is shame on us. And so we're going to do it. And then, so then with one of what's one of the vulnerabilities then for you guys? Is it ever like I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, like there is a vulnerability when doing too many things. And if you can't be the best at it, it's like, OK, that's, then why do we do it or should we do yeah. it? That's exactly what it is. I mean, right now our team is dispersed in a variety of uh, directions. And, uh, you know, as the leader, you want to give clear, concise direction on this is where we're going. This is why we're going. And I think that we service members in a variety of different ways. We service them through corporate wellness. We service them digitally. We service them in brick and mortar. Uh, we have uh, B2B tools. And it's like, okay, in these different areas, can we or are we the best? And can we be the best? And if not, well, then, you know, should we be playing in that vertical? Or should we be, you know, making adjustments towards it is, is what we've been having to like come to, you know, terms with. 
Yeah. Is the how how where does the license model fit in all that? Yeah, I mean that that's a, that's a great example. I I think the license model for us is really powerful. I think that you know right now we have nine licensed locations. I I'd like to grow that a little bit, not 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 a ton in the next you know couple of years. And I think the idea with them is we're just sharing what we're doing here at our flagship sites and trying to share best practices. And we're seeing good growth here, so we want to be able to share that with other gyms. And I think that. The people who align with our licensed product, they typically come from like a CrossFit functional training background, but they want to be a top tier. They want to be like, we don't want a hundred or a thousand licensed partners. We want a few that are just really exceptional at coaching and their facilities look the same way. So if people align with that, then we have our monthly calls. We do all these different things with them to try and raise the bar. So I'd say that's in direct alignment with where we want to go primarily because we want our brick and mortar to be the tip of the spear. And all we're doing is just sharing what we're doing with other other licensees. Yeah. I like it, man. I like it. Um, yeah. I'll just wrap up. Mine's way less complicated. Just being a, this company, a one model that I, I've really come to enjoy. <laughs> My biggest thing is, uh, you know, I've got, it, we're growing the MGU and the gym real estate company are, are the two biggest verticals we're looking to grow. I'm actually over time, not anytime soon for anyone, anyone listening to this, but uh there will be a sunning down to the consulting services to a degree at some point, just because I can't make the biggest impact one-to-one. Now, I feel like it's the thing that's giving me my best business chops. I mean, every single day, if I'm getting hit with different problems from different owners and having to, even though the problems are similar, the solutions are many and um, the styles of the solutions, I think it's given me really like allowed me to be a quick draw in, in what I do and do things very quickly and efficiently. But for maximum amount, and I'm not saying like legacy or impact. I don't like those words necessarily, but like for the maximum amount of, uh, to share with the most of my information, most people, it's got to come in the form of more free, like the courses I do at MGU. You know, if we have 400 some people that are enrolled in this thing and are consuming my hour long courses, great. No one else has ever seen those. So coming up with like a, a more of a free YouTube version out there that's free, you know, hey, listen, get into that. And then if you really want to deep dive in the shit, there's there's there is a paid opportunity for you. But yeah, that and then um, it's that and just growing the the gym, the real estate side of it, uh, helping gym owners out on that front, because I think my biggest impact, because I've only had it now a couple times since I opened that gym real estate company, people call me like, dude, we just closed. Like, this is a project yeah. that took like nine months. We closed on the building, dude. Like, it fucking happened. Thank you. And, like, that is, that feels so, like, that's such, I mean, that's a life changing thing. Like, that's a mean that person will probably have a connection for a really long time. But the gym that hires me for eight months to do a comp plan for their, you know, their new team, that's, that's not, you know, that's, you know, that's not as impactful, I think, uh, big term. So, yeah, I mean, um, you're helping people create, you know, retirement plans. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel the same way though. Like from a gym owner perspective, I don't do much, if any consulting very, very rarely. Um, very rarely I, I do. It's hard to scale. Um, and if I'm focused on taking consulting calls and I'm not focused on our own business, I think for you, it, you, it's, it's, it's definitely different. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when I look at like the NC fit collective, right, we put out session plans, we put out programming, we're going to continue to put out a little bit more business resources that we use at our gyms. The goal for me, honestly, is to rise the tides. It's always been this way for a decade plus for me. I just want to see gym owners thrive. I want to see them more make more than a thousand bucks a month. I want to be okay talking about money. I want to be okay talking about how to feed our families and the families of our coaches and be okay with that. 
because we have to change this vernacular. We have to change this idea that it's, it's a dirty word to talk about profit because, you know, I want to, I want it's the same with you, right? I want to see these gym owners make so much money, so much money that then they can go give back to philanthropic efforts. They can go pay their coaches more. They can create sustainable businesses. And that's when it really starts becoming something powerful is when you're creating a business that creates profits because then you can go do a bigger impact. So that's something that's really like to my core, very important to me that we're going to be focused on with the B2B space. Um, anyways, dude, I, I agree. And literally I boil. So, uh, was at the four seasons stayed at, you know, I, I like staying in nice hotels and stuff. And I, I meet a guy at the bar at the hotel lobby bar. And, uh, he asked, you know, we get to talk. He's like, what do you do? And I'm like, Oh, well, I, I owned a gym. And I just kind of stopped there. And he goes, Oh, really? And you could see the look he gave me it was like, what are you doing here? Like, I guarantee yeah, yeah. he's probably like some financial, you know, wall street kind of guy. He's like, really? Huh? Well, what, what do you do now? I'm like, I, I help gym owners, get successful enough so we don't ever have to get a look like what you just gave me when we are, can afford <laughs> to go to a nice restaurant and he laughed like we it was cool we were cool after that but it like it pissed me off and it made me like that's the kind of thing that i'm like i don't want i used to be when i was when i first started i would be kind of embarrassed like oh well i started a gym and like people kind of put you in this category kind of like when pete used to tell someone you were an entrepreneur and i don't remember this i wasn't doing it then but like i was like the gary v talks where he's like you know entrepreneur in you know 1994 meant you were broke and a loser and now it's a cool thing. I want that for gym owners. I want people to be like, oh shit, her dad's a gym owner. Fuck. I, you know, I bet you they're doing great. Like I want that to be associated with, I want it to be a successful profession. And um, yeah, me, me too, man. I want when people think about gym ownership, they think about someone who's impacting members lives and making money. And like, correct. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's both. It, yeah. Cause I think there's this huge stigma behind it where it's like, Hey, that person was passionate. They opened a gym. Good for them. Right. It's yeah. like, that's awesome. It, 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 and, and I think that we need to break away from that and be like, they're passionate. They open a gym, they're impacting lives and it's a successful, sustainable business model. That's, that's where we need to go. And as an industry, the, the quicker we learn as a group of gym owners, that is good for all of us, the better off we'll all be. It's the same yeah. thing with jujitsu. We've talked about jujitsu a lot today, but I see the exact same hurdles that CrossFit went through 10 years ago with jujitsu. Jujitsu seen this major spike, major because of Joe Rogan and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But unfortunately, the consistency is terrible. I mean, you go into one gym, it is literally night and day compared to another gym. And it's not good for the overall ecosystem if someone goes in there, has a shit experience, and then their perception of jiu-jitsu or their perception of CrossFit is terrible because it's just gonna it's just gonna stifle the growth. So we as overall leaders in the space need to encourage better experiences because it'll only grow the overall network that's interested in what we're providing, you know? I get it, dude. I, and I agree a hundred percent. Jace, always love doing this with you, man. You're one of my favorite. You're the, the one of the most natural. I feel like we have a very natural cadence. We do this. I love just jamming with you, buddy. It's always fun. Uh, dude. Thanks, man. I could always with you all day, bro. Yeah. Everyone, you know where to find Jace. Uh, we'll give throw some handles out and stuff where people can, uh, can get in contact with you. Uh, at Jason Klepa on the Instagram. Uh, we got the effort over everything podcast. We have at Jason Kleepa on YouTube and, uh, you can check out our gym at nc.fit. And if you're a gym owner, simple plug here. Look, if you're spending hours and hours a week writing session plans and programming, you should just, that's a great way to start focusing on marketing sales, retaining your members, et cetera. Leave that up to us. We have a group of experts that are doing it for our gyms that could then also do it for your gym. So check out the NC fit collective. Oh yeah. Awesome, man. I love it. All right. All right, buddy. See ya. Thanks, man. Have a good